Well, it's as always a real joy and a privilege to bring God's word to you this evening. And would you turn with me to Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. And I'm just going to read verses 11 to 14 that we're going to look at together this evening. Titus chapter 2 and verses 11 to 14. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, who are zealous for good works. Heavenly Father, we do humble ourselves before your word this evening. We thank you for it. We thank you, Lord, that you speak to us directly through your word and by your Holy Spirit. And we do pray this evening as we gather under this word, that by your spirit you would move in our hearts, build us up, encourage us. We pray for that fresh affirmation and assurance of our faith this evening that you would draw us close to yourself and we would be greatly encouraged and heartened by your word this evening in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I'd like to talk about hope this evening. I wonder what is your hope in this evening? What do you hope for in life? And as I was thinking about this, I was just reflecting on how over the pandemic, over those lockdowns, particularly that first lockdown, my kind of relationship with hope changed significantly. All the things that I really hoped and longed for, I realized there was so much that was wrapped up on, on, on this, in this life, on this earth. Without even realizing it, there was so much that I longed for on this earth. And then all of a sudden in the pandemic, all of that was thrown up in the air. And I'm forced to think about what really matters. What is my hope really in? And in the last few years, the world has just changed completely around us. We've lived through a pandemic, and I think many of us have just put that out of our minds. And yet we can't really. It was such a significant, unprecedented event. We use that word unprecedented over and over again. There's been social and political upheaval in our nation, in our world, economic instability, and then we've seen, as, as we often have mentioned, as I often mention, that the falling away of all the mainline church denominations on a national level. And I think it's fair to say that our hope in this life has been seriously dented, and particularly with what's happening in the world around us. And whilst we see all this happening around us, there are many Christians who many people are now talking about is are we seeing the end of the world happening? And we may have different views on that. I personally think whether, whether we agree with that or not, or what our eschatology might be, I think it's a really good thing and a healthy thing that Christians are starting to ask that question. How close are we to the Lord's return? The fact that that question is being asked, I think, is a good thing. We may not agree with how the Lord may return, but we will all agree on the fact that he is coming back. He will surely return. And I think this evening, as we look at this, I want to think about that hope. How close we may be to his return or not. The fact is that we are looking to something more than this life. 
In Hebrews 11 verse 1 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, or the assurance of things not hoped for, the, the things that are hoped for, and the conviction of things not seen. The Apostle Paul says in his letter to the Romans that hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Now, have you ever thought about why it is that even when life gets really difficult and confusing and painful, deep down as Christians, we never give up? Why is it that the Christian can face such affliction in this life to the point of even persecution and death? And we're able to do it. And there's something within us that enables us to do it. And it is because the hope that we have is a hope of true substance. It's the assurance of things hoped for. It goes beyond what we can hear and see and touch and taste and smell with our physical senses. It's a hope that's at the very core and essence of our being. It is, as a Christian, it is who you are. It is who we are. It's a hope that doesn't disappoint. It is a blessed hope. And so this evening, as we look at Paul's letter to Titus, I'd like to focus on this one verse in Titus 2, verse 13. Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, I have to say I particularly love the way that the King James renders that verse, looking for that blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. You know, that verse got me through the pandemic, I can tell you, all through all those endless weeks and months, that one single verse got me through the pandemic. That blessed hope, it is indeed a blessed hope. So firstly, let's look at this part of the verse, the blessed hope, looking for that blessed hope, waiting for the blessed hope. However you read it, the ESV says we're waiting, the King James says we're looking. I think they're both right. We're waiting and looking. We are are waiting and longing. We both apply. When we think about earthly hopes, we're dealing with something that's without substance, Things on earth are essentially things that are kind of ethereal. It's, it's somewhere in the, in the near, middle or distant future. It is the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. It's, it's what we look forward to. But it's, it's distant. It's that distant cloud that may or may not rain where we're standing. Earthly hope is, is not secure or guaranteed. In fact, any number of unforeseen ha- things could happen to derail it. The weather, our health, the economy, the the actions of others. There's a whole range of of different circumstances that can directly affect any single thing that we're hoping for or looking forward to. I can think often back to when I was going for ministry jobs over the years and I can remember going to various interviews and over the years I had a number of different interviews for ministry jobs. I might go to a particular church or a particular town or city and I'll start to kind of imagine myself there. There was, there was a hope that was being caught up in that particular, maybe I might get this job, and then what it might be like in that church and in that town, in that city. 
And that's a good thing to hope for in essence, but the problem is when you don't get it, then your hopes are dashed and you realise, I've put my hope in something that isn't anchored. It's not real, it's just a mirage. I'm projecting my hopes and aspirations onto something. And even when we pray for things, we don't know how the Lord is going to answer that prayer. We may pray for God to help us with things. We may pray for things that we want. And God is compassionate and kind and willing to help us. But when we pray, we we give those things to the Lord and have to leave them with him. But for the unbeliever, the person who doesn't know or love the Lord Jesus Christ, all their hopes are bound in this material world. Their life is driven by their hopes. This is why I felt for me it was such an important lesson to learn during the pandemic how much of my hopes are tied up in this earth. How much of my longing is on things that are so transient and so temporary and so fleeting. And for the unbeliever, their their life is driven by their hopes, their longings, the search for meaning and self-realization, the earthly desires and longings. That's what drives the carnal-minded person towards their goal. If I get this job, if I get this house, if I get this marriage or whatever it might be, then everything will be fine. They get there, they're disappointed, and so it continues. There's the longings that drive them towards their goals. And essentially those goals are always the same. To find satisfaction in the worldly things that promise so much and never deliver. In Ecclesiastes, I'm just going to read from Ecclesiastes verses 10 and 11. The words words of the preacher in Ecclesiastes. And he says, And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept, my, I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil. And this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity and a striving after wind. And there was nothing to be gained under the sun. And that really sums up the story for every person who puts their hope in earthly things. And pursues a hope that is material and not spiritual. But this is where the the spiritual hope is different. Let's look again at Titus 2 verses 11 and 12. Where it says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in the present age. And here's the Apostle Paul saying that believers are to live in the complete opposite way to how the world lives. To live completely opposite to the way that the world lives. Why does he say that? Well, he says that because the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared before men. We are to live in that way because grace has appeared already. Because Christianity is a historical religion that is based on facts from the past. It is true because it happened in history. Christ appeared. He came to earth and salvation was achieved at Calvary. So what we have is a hope that is rooted in something that has already happened. Christ 
came into the world. He went to the cross where he died in our place as our substitute. He took the punishment on himself and was resurrected on the third day, securing our salvation and ascended into heaven. So grace has already happened. It's appeared. Grace is also the gift of a person. Verse 14, it says, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works <coughs> what the christian has is a, is an anchor already in the past grace of god the finished work of christ on the cross and the holy spirit at work in the heart of the believer and sanctifying and making us more like christ We have something that is rooted in the past. And not only does Christ redeem us from every lawless deed, but he purifies us as his special people who are zealous for good works. The good news for the Christian is that the debt is paid. But there's more. We are called to reflect that same grace in our lives through good works that bring glory to God. So for the Christian, our hope is rooted Already in the first coming of Christ. And this hope affects how we live in the present. Living soberly, righteously and godly in the present age. Looking back over the letter, this is why earlier on in the letter, Paul had described to Titus what a a good church should be like. He'd warned about the godless behaviour of the Cretans and, and he said that there should be sound doctrine. Older women and men who are setting a positive and godly example to the younger men and women in the church, in their marriages, bringing their family up in a way that glorifies God. He says that they should also be people of truth and integrity, not being dishonorable in their speech. In fact, even the slaves were called to live in an obedient way and being pleasing to their masters, so that they would adorn the doctrine of the Saviour in all things. In fact, Paul's concern as he's talking in this chapter, in chapter 2 in, in Titus, he's concerned that they would be like that city on the hill that the Lord Jesus talks about in the Sermon on the Mount, a light that shines before men so that they would see the good works and give glory to God. And secondly, we see... The glorious appearing, the appearing of the glory, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory. We're waiting for that glorious appearing. To quote the earthly uh, church father, the early church father, John uh, Chrysostom, he says, nothing is more blessed and more desirable than that appearing. Words are not able to represent it. The blessings thereof surpass our understanding. The blessings thereof surpass our understanding. So let's think about for a moment this this glorious appearing, this appearing of the glory of God. Now there's this well-worn saying that I'm sure we've all said at some point. I know I have. And we'll often say that if something goes wrong, well, it's, it's not the end of the world. We might say if such and such happens... That might be unfortunate, maybe rather inconvenient, but it wouldn't be the end of the world. And we talk about it as if the end of the world is a bad thing. In fact, actually for the Christian, 
the end of the world is the best possible scenario. And the, the Apostle Paul believes, and rather should the Christian, that when Christ appears, Christ who, your, who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Far from being the worst thing that could possibly happen, Paul says in Colossians 3 verse 4, when Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. For the Christian, Christ's return at the end of this age is the greatest thing that can happen to us. It's everything that we live for and long for. It's our greatest desire and longing. In fact, the Lord Jesus, when he was telling his disciples about the signs of the end of the age, he says to them, now when these things begin to appear, look up and lift up your heads because your redemption draws near. The end of the world is good news for the Christian. The end of the world is the best thing that could happen for us. That is how it is for the Christian. That's why, have you ever wondered why you feel so out of sync with the world? And like you don't fit in? And maybe like me, you think, oh, maybe I'm just really cynical and depressive. But that's, that's not the reason. It's because we live as foreigners and aliens in this world and we long to be with the Lord. That is natural for the believer. I, I'm done with this world. I want to be with my Savior. I'm weary of this sinful world. I'm weary of my weak mortal body and my ongoing struggle with sin. And eternity with Christ is what I long for. That is my aim and my destination. In fact, it's a sign of spiritual maturity in the Christian where as we're being changed, so our priority changes to cause us to long for Christ, to have that future hope of Christ And as we long for that future hope of Christ's glorious appearing, it helps us in the present. As we long for the future hope of Christ's glorious appearing, it helps us in the present. The sanctified person looks for Christ's return. And that hope is what helps us keep going in the present. We're not merely hoping for the glorious appearing. We're actively looking for it. We're looking for that blessed hope. The appearing in glory of our God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. And we have past and future confidence. We have confidence in verse 11 that Christ has appeared. And we also have in verse 13, confidence that Christ will appear again. So firstly, let's look at verse 11, that Christ has appeared. We see the Lord Jesus Christ has been already on earth. We see in in the Gospels, in Mark chapter 9, the Lord Jesus Christ being transfigured on the high mountain with Elijah and Moses in front of the three disciples, Peter, James, and John. The Lord Jesus' clothes became white, brilliant white like snow, and the disciples were greatly afraid as a voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son, listen to him. And on this occasion, those three disciples just had a preview of the great glory of Christ, that glory that is yet to be revealed until the final day of his glorious appearing. We see at the beginning of the Acts of the Apostles, Luke tells us that Jesus was lifted up on a cloud and ascended out of sight. And whilst the disciples were rather somewhat gormlessly just staring into the sky, I suppose as anyone would, just now what? They're just staring into the sky where the Lord Jesus had ascended and then 
Two men in white robes appeared to them and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand there looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. This is the sure and certain promise that the Christian lives for. In the Nicene Creed it says, And he shall come again with glory to judge the living and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. And for the Christian, this glorious appearing of Christ is the blessed hope. But for the unbeliever, it's the worst thing that could ever happen. And this is where the saying, it's not the end of the world, has a a sinister, deeper meaning. That for the unregenerate unbeliever, the person who lives with their back turned to God, the return of Christ is the single worst thing that can ever happen. Worse than death itself. The Lord Jesus tells his disciples that there will be men's hearts failing them from fear. And the expectation of those things which are coming on the earth. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. And tragically there will be a great many people who have spent their lives rejecting and denying Christ. Only to see him in power and great glory coming as king and judge rather than saviour. The first coming of Christ was one of grace. As saviour. But his second coming will be in glory as judge and king. But for the Christian we live between grace and glory. Anchored in what Christ has already done for us. And the fulfilment of it at his coming in glory. And thirdly. Looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. I wonder who is Jesus to you this evening? Can you say of him that he is my great God and Saviour? We've already seen in verse 14 that Christ gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed. And notice how Christ redeems us from every lawless deed. That is the dreadful fallen human condition that we're all born into. That we're lawbreakers by nature. We willfully break God's laws. And throughout our lives, the consequences of God, of our sin and the death and judgment is on us. And the Bible tells us that the law of Moses was given to the people of Israel in order for them to see for themselves how they kept breaking God's law. They were incapable of keeping it. It was God's way of drawing the line and saying, this is how you're infringing my law. This is how you're transgressing. But the problem is that the law itself cannot save us. Law just draws the line and says, this is where the line is. This is where God's command is. We cannot try harder to achieve salvation for ourselves by good works. And neither can we atone for our past sin and secure God's favour by our own good works in fact the apostle Paul explains to the Galatians that the laws are tutor to bring us to Christ that we may be justified by faith our sin condemns us our sin shines the light of God's glory on us and shows us what a terrible wreckage of lawless deeds our lives are whenever we look back over our lives I know I look back over my life I shudder at some of the things that I did there's very little to be proud of 
In fact, I think one of the signs of Christian maturity is as we grow older in our faith and we become more mature, we're more aware of things that we, that we hadn't even noticed dishonored God. But Christ gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed. Let's look together in, in Titus 3, verses 3 to 6. In Titus 3, verses 3 to 6, 3 to 6 it says... For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Saviour appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Saviour. And the truth is that we were once foolish and disobedient. Our nature was to be disobedient to God and we didn't want to obey God. In the words of the psalmist, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. But this is not just a mere intellectual denial of God, but it's an act of defiance and, and disobedience. It's Adam's sin, the desire for independence from the Creator to live as we please. And this rejection of God affected our thinking and our behavior. And that's why when we look over our lives at different points, we can often be astonished and mortified at our behavior. I know I am when I look back over my life. How could I live like that? And yet in verse 4, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Saviour appeared. Which is really just a beautiful way of saying what Paul's already said in verse 11 when he says, For the grace of God has appeared. When the kindness and the love of God our Saviour appeared, it was not by works of righteousness that we have done, but according to the mercy that he saved us. According to his mercy. According to his grace. To be a Christian is to be saved. It is to have been washed clean from our sin by the blood of Christ. Through regeneration and by the renewing work of the Holy Spirit. And that's exactly why the Lord Jesus says to Nicodemus who came to him one night to ask about spiritual things. And Jesus says to Nicodemus, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. There has to have been that moment in our lives where we woke up to our need of him, to our need of Christ, our great failure and the sin in our lives and our great need of Christ. I can remember that happening as a 23-year-old reading the Sermon on the Mount and recognizing my need of a saviour, recognizing how I'd live my life and how I'd live it in such a way that a dishonored God, I'd broken his laws, I'd lived a life that I realized up to that point I'd lived oblivious and blind to, and at that point I realized that I'd been living in a way that had angered and displeased God. There has to be a change that comes by the Holy Spirit, a regeneration, being born again. Now, have you been washed by the washing of regeneration this evening? And do you long for that glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ? What a wonderful day it will be to see our Lord and Saviour face to face. Do you not long for that day to come? Do you not long for that day where 
God will wipe away every tear and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying. There will be no more pain because the former things have passed away. Now I began by asking what do you put your hope in? What do you put your hope in this evening? Well, the truth is if the answer to that is anything other than the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll never have peace and joy in this life and hope will always be in vain. But if your hope is in Christ, then you will live with the assurance of salvation. You will know that you have the promises of God, that they're sure and certain. You'll have confidence in having a hope that doesn't disappoint. The unbeliever has their eyes to the ground. They live in the futility and the disappointment of this life. But the the unbeliever tragically misses what the believer has, and that is to... Look with our eyes to the heavens, knowing that redemption draws near. As Christians, we look for that blessed hope. We don't just hope for it, we look for it. We know it is true, we know it's coming. It is certain we look for the blessed hope. The glorious appearing of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Let us close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that we have a hope that doesn't disappoint. We thank you for that blessed hope that we have. And we pray even this week as we go out to work and go about our lives, as we perhaps become bogged down with all the things that we're having to face, all the concerns and worries, that we would remember the blessed hope that we have. We pray, Father, that we would not get lost in the day-to-day troubles and the struggles that we go through, but that our eyes would be kept looking up towards you. May we be expectant and recognizing that your return is promised, that they will come. May we live in the light of your coming, in the shadow of the second coming. We don't know when that will be, but Lord, we look forward to it. We long for it. We can't wait for it. So Lord, we would be encouraged this evening, knowing that you love us and call us close to you. And will we have that hope in our hearts that the more we feel disconnected from this life and alienated from this world, that we would be comforted and have the assurance of that blessed hope. May we live our lives in a way that glorifies you and look forward to that day when you return to gather us to you in Jesus' name. Amen.